Eddie was there to drive her, so Phyllis really couldn't talk. Eddie wants Phyllis to cut off all communication with Max, like he has. Max imagines Eddie and Phyllis driving in comfortable silence in Eddie's car. They've been divorced twenty years now. Soon it will be high tide. The waves are louder. Maybe it's smart to know how much the heart can take and just play it safe. It's possible to kill parts of it, the parts that want to be loved back. That's what monks probably do. I think I'm going to live, Max imagines Phyllis saying, her blonde and gray hair sprawled on her pillow. By now, Max figures, the Vicodin will have taken the edge off Phyllis's recent dental surgery. Phyllis, a deceiver of age and time, she's 65, has earned her place in her rose-covered bed. Her station has little clusters of rib bones, remnants left by her Wheaton Terrier, Zelda, red licorice, and a Christmas catalog containing potential gifts for her grandchildren, of which Phyllis has zero. A Tupperware bowl holding the remains of her regular breakfast of figs, prunes, and raisins soaked in gin sits on a tray at the end of the bed, along with her laptop. Zelda lies on her back, her head on the pillow next to Phyllis, enjoying a lazy rub. Zelda and Phyllis have exactly the same color sandy hair. Sitting in a white wicker rocking chair, wearing tennis shorts, striped socks over his skinny ankles, and perfect silver hair, a Buddy Rich tune stuck in his head, is Eddie. He is drumming a bead with his fingers on the arm of the chair. Thirty years ago, he used to run with Buddy. He went to every one of Buddy's Los Angeles gigs. Sometimes, Buddy would let Eddie sit in. Eddie sold the drum set Phyllis gave him when he moved into his own apartment up the street 22 years ago. What about Max? Do you think she'll live? Phyllis asks. She presses the old red rubber ice pack harder onto her cheek. Eddie keeps drumming, the tap of his foot building into a crescendo. Before he stopped contact with her ten months ago, he'd occasionally leave messages on Max's answering machine with no words, just a rapid and gleeful jazz pattern, making the most of the tonal quality of pots and pans. On one recording, he did sing to her, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, I can't carry a tune, I can't carry a tune, I can't carry a tune, so I say fuck it. Eddie thought she had cleaned up, and eventually felt the fool when he looked at Max's eyes one night when she and Ernest were over at Phyllis's for dinner. Her pupils were pinned as if the sun were beating down on her. That's when he stopped talking to her. Max, Phyllis repeats. Eddie drums a slow, steady beat, and the rocking chair becomes a metronome. Phyllis stares out the window and picks at her cuticles. The half a pinky finger she chopped off carving a pumpkin never bends because the doctor sewed it back on wrong. In task, she always appears good-mannered and dainty. I'm not gonna sit with you all day, you know, Eddie says. Good, she replies. They both gaze at a vase filled with yellow roses, orange lacing the edges of the petals. The baby's breath indicates that these aren't roses from her garden, but that doesn't bother Eddie. He has no reason to be jealous. Have you heard anything from her? He asks. None of your beeswax. Phyllis keeps staring at the flowers. She thinks they're pretty, 
but they change every day. If you cut the stems diagonally and change the water on a daily basis, they stay pretty longer. Phyllis is a painter of roses, and she will never grow old. Actually, no. Phyllis looks at her painting of a perfect white one preserved inside a dark blue background and finally says, I haven't. I was making sure. The ocean has now reached Max's sneakers. If I lie here, she thinks, and don't move and let the water wash over me, I will stay clean today. If I can take the cold, I can be strong enough. Maybe the pill lady will be selling at the clinic. No methadone this time, thank you. Some antihistamines will help, too. When she